in our series, Born for This. We were all born to do something, right? We were all created by God, born to do something. Uh, this, as you know, is based on the Old Testament book of Esther. And so far, over the last few weeks, right, we've already been through chapters 1 and 2, and what we've seen is how, in spite of some really bad advice and some rash decision uh, made by pagan leaders, God's plan for his people remains. God's plan for his people remains. Additionally, we've also seen that just because, that just because, think about this, that we can't see God's hand at work in our lives at any moment in time, that by no means means that God is not moving things into place behind the scenes. So, I have a question for you. A little change here before we start. Uh, how many of you have ever known somebody with a big ego? If anybody doesn't raise their hand, then I will know yeah, you're, not, you're not living in the real world, right? Yeah, we've all known somebody that we would say had a pretty big ego, right? Okay, so uh, what, kind of, what kind of problems does that cause? Well, <laughs> what does it not do, right? You got lots of, like, just give me a couple, what, what are a couple things that causes, problems that causes? They're hard to correct. Hard to correct, Yeah. How do those kind of people feel about other people? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and how do they feel about themselves? Pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, feel pretty big about themselves. Okay, so we're going to see somebody today that was somebody like that. Okay, we're going to get a chance to, to look into that a little bit deeper. So uh, if you've got your Bible... Uh, open it up to Esther chapter 3. You can follow along on the, on the, uh, the screen here if you want to go that way. We're going to read uh, Esther chapter 3. So it says, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. He was, yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the Pur, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adder. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep to themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. 
So the king took his signet ring from his finger, gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps and governors of various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered, was bewildered. Okay, so let's just, there was a lot there, so let's just quickly go back over that real fast and see what we just read. Okay, so what we found is in verse 1, Xerxes honors Haman, makes him number two in the whole kingdom, and we also learn that Haman is an Agite, Agagite, okay, which means he was a descendant of King Agag. Okay, King Agag, the king of the Amalekites. Verse 2, Xerxes commands all his officials to bow down and pay honor to Haman when he passes by, but Mordecai refuses. Then when Haman learns about this, because he's a pretty important guy, he becomes enraged. Haman not only wants to kill Mordecai for not being willing to pay him honor, but he decides that that's not enough, that this offense is so great that not only does Mordecai deserve to die, but all of his people deserve to die. And so that's what he sets out to do. Now, it's the 12th year of Xerxes' reign. Remember when we started this, we said we were in the third year of his reign, so now we're in the 12th year of his reign. And we also learned that in the first month of that year, through the casting of lots, a date is set for the Jews to be annihilated. And we know that that's going to be then in the last month of that current year on the 13th day. And we also find out in verse 10 that Xerxes allows Haman to use his signet ring. Okay? That, that Haman is allowed to send out this decree under the king's signature. So then we read that royal secretaries write out the orders in all the languages that couriers take them throughout the kingdom. The dispatch tells all the people who live in the kingdom. Remember this. It tells all the people who are living in the kingdom, including the Jews, because it's a public announcement, that later that same year, 13th day of the 12th month, all of the Jews are to be destroyed and their goods plundered. Once the dispatch is posted in Susa, just think about it. Haman and, and, and Xerxes, because they've signed it and sent it to them, it's It's done. So it says they sit down to drink. But it says that all the people of the city were bewildered. Why would they be bewildered? They'd be bewildered because they didn't see this coming, right? There was, why, what, why would this happen? And so the, the city is, is kind of turned upside down, and you can imagine that was happening throughout the whole province as well, throughout the, through the country. Look, I think we would all agree right here that this looks like a pretty bad turn of events, for the Jewish people. 
life for the Jews had been moving along pretty well during, throughout their captivity. Obviously, uh, when they had been brought into captivity since that time, they've dispersed themselves throughout the entire kingdom. And just like all the other people that, that the Persians had conquered and captured and brought into the land that they, that they were in charge of, these people were living their lives. They were doing business. They were farming. They were making trade. And, and in fact, not only had it gone pretty well for the, for the Jews, one of their own, Esther, has been queen now for a number of years. And Mordecai has, while we don't know exactly the job that he had, it was one, obviously, some level of official uh, position where it kept him near the king's gate. And you just didn't get to go hang out at the king's gate unless you had a reason to be there, and he did. But now, an order from the king has been issued that is, in fact, the Jews' death warrant. And those folks have to live with this knowledge for the next 11 months. Imagine how that would be if you had to live with that knowledge for the next 11 months. So, now if you kind of think about it, because uh, they're just waiting for this to be carried out. So as followers of Jesus, we've talked about it many times, and we know, like Ephesians 2.10 says that we're God's workmanship. We're his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he prepared things for us to do, and that doing them, because he prepared them for us, would cause us to say, I was born for this. This is what I was created to do. But what do we do in life when it looks like all those plans, all those things that have been lining up, and we would see that God had prepared for us to do, what do we do when it looks like all those plans just got turned upside down? When it looks like they're never going to happen, when it looks like the plug has just been pulled on the answers to all our prayers, that's a big issue because we all face that from time to time. When it looks like the things that we believe that God has organized for us to do and the path we're moving on, all of a sudden, it just gets flipped upside down and it doesn't look like it's ever going to get set right again. So what are we to do? If we're to be ready to do the things that God's called us to do, in, in fact, the things he created us to do, one of the things we've got to do is decide in advance that no matter what comes along, no matter how things start to look on any given day, what we're going to do is stick with the plan. We're going to stick with the things that God has shown us. But that's easier said than done in a lot of cases, isn't it? Really easier said than done. So when we find ourselves in the middle of this crisis of faith, where we got to decide, am I going to stick with the plan or am I going to bail and run because this is not looking good anymore, okay? then we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to do to stick with God's plan? What does it take? Well, the first thing we need to do is we've got to learn to remain obedient to God. We've got to remember to do what God has told us to do. Look, we simply need to obey the direction that we've received from God, whether we received it directly from God through reading his word or through prayer or through dreams or through visions. But it, that means standing firm in our faith. And here's the real hard part, with no compromise. St okay? It's a real cute, good, fun Sunday school answer to say, well, what do we need to do? Oh, I need to obey God. But the tough part gets when we say, but without compromise, without bending, without compromise, because that means even when it's not easy. By the way, I'd just like to remind you that standing firm in your obedience to God may not make you popular. May not make you popular. Hey, Mordecai's decision to not bow down for Haman 
did not make him popular. All the other officials around it says, we read about it in the verses, says they tried to talk some sense into him day after day. They said, why aren't you doing this? You should do this. But he didn't do it. It didn't make him popular. But scripture tells us that Mordecai's stand didn't just make him unpopular with Haman. It made him hate, right? Haman absolutely was enraged at this behavior from Mordecai. Question. Why did Mordecai, I mean, the the Jews have been living in this pagan country for years now, right? Over 70 years. I mean, it's been a long time, okay? Why do you think Mordecai, who they've obviously had to adjust and adapt somewhat to live in this very pluralistic pagan culture, okay, they're not back in Israel, why do you think he picked this moment and this time and this issue to take a stand on and to not give in. Anybody got some thoughts? Why do you think he decided to plant his flag on this issue? Aggravated. Aggravated? Could be. Yeah. What else? I mean, I feel like this is probably an issue that they haven't brought up because it was the guy being appointed by the Jewish people, and this still happens because he followed it up. That's good. That's good. You know, I mean, while it doesn't tell us exactly, right? You know, I mean, Scripture doesn't exactly line it out. Actually, I think that's a pretty good reason there because what, you know, here's the thing, right? There's a lot of issues in our lives that we face where we have to decide, am I going to go this way or this way? Which way am I going to follow, right? And, and, one, and some of the times what we say when we kind of want it to be a certain way is we go, well, God's Word doesn't exactly spell this out. This is one of those gray areas, we like gray areas, right, because it gives us a lot of wiggle room to kind of do things that we want, okay? On this issue, no matter what else may have been going on that the Jews had to deal with or to navigate through, here's one where their direction from God is explicit. Exodus 20, verses 3, says, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not bow down to them or worship them. They have been given very clear non, not gray, very clear direction that they are not to bow down before the gods. And what Haman has been elevated is to like the level of, a, of like a, a, an under god, you know, like Xerxes is the guy, right? But he's number two, and he's the only one that Xerxes has said, you have to bow down to him, okay? So, so Mordecai has simply taken a stand by being obedient to some very clear direction from God. You know, this could also be one of those. Think about how easy it would have been for Mordecai to go along. Everybody else at the gate was bowing down, right? Everybody else was doing it. And sometimes part of what we say to ourselves is I need to go along to get along. Is this where I really want to draw the line? Is this where I really want to, you know, not, not budge? We have, we have to deal with that in our lives. That's a real issue that we have to decide is when is it that I'm going to draw the line? Well, Mordecai, for him, apparently God put it on his heart. This was a line he shouldn't cross. This was clear direction from God. I'm not going to go along to get along. I'm going to stand firm, and I'm not going to wiggle, even though I know this is causing me some trouble. Let's be clear. When it comes to obedience, there can be no wiggle room. Tough line, huh? When it comes to obedience, there can be no wiggle room. Because here's the deal. While obedience may carry a price, 
disobedience always carries a price. It always carries a price. And here's the real tough part about that. Even the smallest compromise will carry consequences. Boy, that's a tough one for us, isn't it? Even the smallest compromise will carry consequences. Sometimes we feel those consequences immediately. Sometimes it actually can be much later. But it will come. I want to give you an example of that. And it has to do with today's story. But to, to, to get to it, we have to go back. I want, you to, I want to read to you 1 Samuel 15, and it's going to be verses 1 to 3, and then verses 7 to 9. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go back in history about 500 years, okay, from where we are right now. And this is when Saul is king of Israel, okay? So Samuel the prophet, so here's the verses. Samuel says to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. So Samuel has given Saul some direction from God. He says, this is what the Lord says. I will punish the Amalekites. Remember Agai? He's, okay. The Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now, go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy them and everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, donkeys, They were to take no plunder. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites. He took Agag of the Amalekites alive, as well as some of the best of the sheep and cattle. What's the problem? They killed all these people, but they left Agag alive, as well as some of the best of the sheep and cattle. Now, was that being obedient? No, no, okay. But, but they kept just the king alive and the best of the sheep and the cattle. I mean, in some way, it isn't, can't you come up with some reasons why that sounds reasonable, why you might do it? I mean, you know, right? Okay, there's just, there's just one problem. That was not total obedience, right? That was not, now, did, did Saul at that moment pay a price at that very moment? No, it all looked okay, right? A little later, he did, because Samuel, that's the verse a lot of you might remember, says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? And, you know, when he, when he tells him, okay? But, but here's the thing. We got to remember, Esther 3.1 told us that Haman was the son of Hamadatha and Agagite. That means that Haman, now think about this. So now, that all happened 500 years before the story we read today in Esther. 500 years later, here's this guy, Haman, who is an Agagite. He is a descendant of Agag, which means, okay, he's now enraged at Mordecai. So here's the thing. If Saul, 500 years ago, had actually been obedient to God without wavering, without partial obedience, but had been totally obedient to God this particular problem that we're in right now wouldn't be happening, would it? Because, Morde- uh, because Haman would have never been born. He couldn't have been there. Look, little interesting story here, okay? Now, now you could just say, 
is this just all such wild coincidence? You know? Well, with God, there's no coincidences, are there? Okay, this is, this is where, what I'm about to tell you is where you're going to know that this is all God's hand. And when I tell you that, that obedience, that disobedience carries consequences, whether you pay them now or you get them later, hear this. Interesting history, right? Haman was a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite king. Mordecai and Esther were from the tribe of Benjamin, a descendant of Kish, who was the father of Saul, King Saul. You with me? Since Mordecai is associated in Esther with the house of Saul, this current clash between Mordecai and Haman is just a rematch of the battle that was supposed to be fought and settled 500 years ago between Saul and Agag. In God's economy, in God's way of doing things, his word stands. His word stands. Whether you and I pay the price or our descendants pay the price, but I'm telling you, if God said do it, there is a time when it, a price is to be paid, that it must be done. Look, there is a, 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 a term uh, in ancient law called lex talionis. Okay, I think that's the Latin version, lex talionis. Okay, but the, but the English translation is proportional retribution. Proportional retribution. You'll find the concept... It, of course, in Scripture, I'm about to give it to you, but also outside of Scripture, uh, some of you have studied like the Code of Hammurabi, which is like the basis for a lot of our laws today, okay, the historical documents. Okay, proportional distribution in Scripture, take your right to it. Exodus 21, verses 23 and 24 says, if there's a serious injury, you are to take life for life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, uh, foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise, right? If, so this is, a, this is proportional retribution. Someone, someone uh, hurts the, cuts off the hand of someone, the proportional retribution is you cut off their hand. Okay, so as we read earlier in 1 Samuel 15 from 500 years ago, God had clearly instructed Saul to exterminate the Amalekites. But Saul didn't fully obey because he thought he knew better. Now, almost 500 years later, Haman, a descendant of Agag, the Amalekite king, is attempting to reciprocate proportional retribution by making the call to exterminate the Jews. Saul disobeyed God regarding Agag. Now, Agag's descendant, Haman is looking to exact revenge on one of Saul's descendants, Mordecai. Compromise in obedience always carries consequences, sooner or later. So if our goal is to stick with God's plans for our lives, then we've got to remain obedient to God's direction. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to pray for strength to handle the opposition. Look, when we commit ourselves to following God's plan for our lives, is it any surprise that we can expect opposition? Of course we can. We can expect opposition. We know 
just from our own lives. John 10.10 in the New Testament, right, says the thief, Satan, only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life. But we know that Satan's plan for all of us is to kill, steal, and destroy. Do we really understand Satan hates you? He wants to destroy you. He is not out for your good. Haman became enraged. He had a little help, don't you think? He had a little help from Satan. Verse 6 tells us he became so enraged by this situation that he wasn't satisfied with just the thought of killing Mordecai. He concluded that his personal worth, that his personal worth, his ego, right? His personal worth was not only greater than that of Mordecai, but in fact it was greater than that of the entire Jewish nation. So much so that as a result, the only way that this wrong being done to him in his mind could be set right was by the total destruction of the entire Jewish population. Haman proposed to Xerxes, now think about what he said, and, and think about today for just a moment. Haman said, these people. It's a lot easier when we don't specify. We just lump, we lump a, an entire group of, of the population. We, we, we lump an entire other country, right? We just call them these people. Really, it dehumanizes, it depersonalizes, right? They just become these people, okay? We're not obeying the king's laws, and therefore it was in the king's best interest not to tolerate them. So, so Haman proposes this decree to be sent out authorizing the Jews' destruction. Now, Xerxes, we've already seen in pre the previous weeks that Xerxes is a guy that tends to make pretty quick, rash decisions and sometimes not consulting the best of uh, advisors. Okay? So think about it. Haman walks in and says, King, there, are the, there, are, there is this group of people. He gives no detail. He says, there's this group of people who, who are not serving you, who are separate, and, and it's not in your best interest to tolerate them. And without consulting anyone else, without Agag asking any questions, like, well, now, who exactly are they? What is it that they're doing? Why is it that bad? You know, not, no question. It says he takes off his signet ring, gives it to Haman, so Haman can, like, stamp the, the, the approval on this decree and have it sent out. By the way, Doing that, what Xerxes just did, violated his own laws. The laws of the Medes and the Persians said, and this will sound a little familiar to you even today, that, that it, it forbid the execution of anyone based on the testimony of only one person. And that's exactly what they just did. They just signed the death warrant for the entire nation of the Jews based on one guy and no details. Isn't it interesting, though, when the enemy attacks, things like sound judgment and rule of law don't seem to matter? Throughout history, Satan has been attempting to destroy God's people in order to subvert God's plans. In Egypt, had all the baby boys killed because he wanted to kill Moses, which was going to be the deliverer. I mean, we could go through examples after examples. Move it way forward. Nazi Germany. 
an attempt to destroy and annihilate the Jews. Lots of examples throughout history and through scripture. In fact, Satan has had a Haman in every generation. Today, what about today? Well, of course. Of course. Haman was a Persian. And the Persians are the modern-day inhabitants of Iran. And if there's one place on earth, nothing's changed. They are still committed to the destruction of Israel. Total destruction. And lest we think we're off the hook, as followers of Jesus Christ, Satan is committed to your destruction as well. So, if we're to stick with the goal of accomplishing God's plans for our lives, we've got to immerse ourselves in God's word and prayer. Deuteronomy 31.6 gives us some real encouragement and direction. It tells us, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes before you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That's encouragement. That's encouragement. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Listen, the enemy's out to get you, but God is saying, if you will just listen to me, if I remember, I created you, and before I even created you, I created things for you to do. If you've ever wondered if you're good at anything, or you could be good at anything, I mean, it kind of blows my mind, but think about this, that before I was born, God created stuff for me to do. Now, that means because God doesn't waste time, doesn't waste resources, doesn't, and he certainly doesn't waste people that he created, that means that then because those things already existed out here for me to do, right? So that when he created me, he created me in a unique particular way to fit those things. Do you understand? He created you like a lock, like a key for that lock. Okay, you, you weren't some random thing that just, you know, happened to fall into the earth. You are a specific, intentional creation by God that was designed specifically to be able to be the answer, to be the solution, to be the person for these things that God, before you were even born, created for you to do. In fact, he created them before he created the earth, which means he created the earth as an answer to the things that he wanted to have done. So when you are looking at your lives, we should be encouraged. We need to understand that while the enemy is out to get rid of us, to destroy us, and he will have a Haman in every generation for you and me and the Jews as well, because we are all children of the Most High God, that we can have confidence, we can be strong, and we can be courageous because the Lord goes before us. If we are following him and obedient to him, and we actually obey the things he told us to do. Finally, if we're going to stick with God's plan, we've got to trust God to provide a way. Because right now for the Jews, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, right? It said the edict was issued. Xerxes and Haman sat down to drink. city of Susa is bewildered. The whole situation was disturbing and confusing, not only to the Jews, but even to the other inhabitants of the kingdom. Remember, many of these other inhabitants were also conquered people. 
okay, were not Persian. Okay, they, they weren't like, you know, the locals. They had also been brought in. Hey, maybe they're next. Maybe they're next. Verse 7 told us that the day chosen was about 11 months out. Why do you think, isn't that kind of cruel and unusual punishment? The date chosen was about 11 months out. Now think about it. And the Jewish people all know about the edict. For 11 months, they get to live knowing that their day of destruction is coming on the 13th day of the 12th month. Okay? Why do you think... Now, it says that it was chosen by the casting of the lots, right? And we also know from Proverbs that every casting of the lots, every, it's every decision is from the Lord. Why do you think... Why do you think God allowed such a date so far out into the future to be what was, uh, what was determined? What do you think? Time to hatch a plan. I like that reason. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? I mean, on, on the plus or the minus, why, why do you think, you know, for the good or the bad? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully part of that's hatching a plan, right? <laughs> think, think of any other reasons why it was set so far out? Okay. Yeah. Now, remember, the people who are... the Who's going to carry out this edict? It's not the army. It's the population. On that day, is supposed to go kill all their neighbors. And, and it says the city of Susa is bewildered. I mean, these are people you've been living with, you've been working with, you've been trading with, you've been, your kids play with their kids. You're, do you see what I mean? They're, they're, you don't see a problem. But all of a sudden... You think maybe part of the reason it was so far out was to give the enemy time to stir up distrust? And I mean, if, I mean, if you're going to tell any of us that we got to go kill a whole bunch of people on a certain day, and right now we got nothing against them, you're going to have to change my mind or I'm not going to want to help, right? But also, with that much time, however the enemy's going to do it, it's, it, it, I mean, I think the enemy wanted it out there long because it gave time to create that, dis, that suspicion or that distrust, okay? And for people to start, it says they get to plunder their goods. Gave them time to look at who had the best camel, and I want to go steal his camel. And, you know, I mean, it gave them time for that. But, but God had a better plan, right? It gave time for the for the Jewish people to turn to God, to lay out before him, to cry out before him, a time for them to go, God, without you, we are doomed. There is is no solution. So we need you, God, to hatch a plan. We, We need something because we're helpless. We're helpless in this. Interestingly enough, that 12th month of the year, that 13th day, is one day before Passover. Passover is the celebration, right, of God's liberation of the Jews from the Egyptians. 
but the date selected would make it appear that this time there'd be no escape, but for God. Look, when the enemy comes after us, he will do everything in his power to make your situation look helpless and look hopeless. Because when he does, it's his best chance of getting you to give up, throw in the towel, to not be obedient, and to say, you know what? God's not as good as his word says he is. I guess I better figure this out for myself. I better find my own way. 500 years before, King Saul had clear direction from God. But he decided he knew better. He decided there was a better path because God surely couldn't mean kill them all. God surely couldn't mean take, kill even the best sheep, the best cattle. Those will make great sacrifices. We even know, didn't bother reading it, but he told Samuel, oh, we kept these because we were going to sacrifice them to God. Well, God didn't want, what does it tell us in Scripture about sacrifice? It says God doesn't want sacrifice. He wants obedience. If Saul had just been obedient, none of this would have happened. So, even in this seemingly hopeless situation, God was working and he continued to be at work. We're going to see as we go into the weeks ahead how that unfolds. We heard just the only preview I give you was because it's already been told last week in Pastor Cindy's message. She said that uh, Mordecai... Uh, had uncovered a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. uh, So Mordecai has played a role in saving the king's life, and we'll see how that plays out in, in helping to address this apparently hopeless situation. Look, for all of us, what we got to remember is that in life, as we go through life and we face these trials, our strength, our peace, our protection, And all that does not come from our physical strength or our financial strength or our friends or our social laws or even other people's opinions and certainly not what all the talking heads on TV tell us. Okay? Our strength instead will only come in our peace. We've got to find our peace, our security, and our love in the sovereignty and presence of God. It's the only way. So... When you find yourself in that kind of hopeless-looking situation, that kind of tough place where you don't know what to do, look, we just need to cry out to God. Because just because we don't see him doesn't mean he isn't there. So we pray that the Lord your God will tell us where to go and what you should do. Jeremiah 42.3, we pray to God and ask him where to go. When, he's, when he talks to us, Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous so we know we can be strong and courageous? And then we can trust him to provide a way. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Don't lean on our own understanding, even though we can't see it. Don't lean on it. In all our ways, acknowledge him. He'll make our paths straight. That's how we stick to the plan. That's how we be ready to do the things God's called us to do. Let's stand. Let's close. Just as you bow your heads, we're going to pray to, uh, to, to close the service. Just a chance for you. Take just a moment and say, is just between you and God, is there, is there any area of your life where the enemy has knocked you off your plan, 
where the enemy has knocked you off course and you are not walking in obedience to God? Is there an area where you need to get back on track, where you need to confess it to God, where you need to say, Lord, I have, I have allowed the enemy to move me off course, but today I want to get back on and I want to live my life in full obedience to you. All heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you, just, just you want to walk in full obedience to God starting today, just raise your hand real quickly. Amen. Amen. Lord, today you've seen our hands. God, our desire is to bring honor and glory to you. God, we understand that when you speak to us and you give us direction, Lord, that there is no wiggle room, there is no compromise, God, that there is one way to honor you, and that is with total obedience. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would give us strength, give us wisdom, give us courage, Lord, to walk in total obedience to you no matter what the circumstances look like around us, God, or what others will say, but that, Lord, we will stand firm in our faith, love, and trust in you. So, Father, now I just pray that you would give us the strength to carry out uh, these things that you've shown us today, Lord, and that we would walk with you, Father, uh, because, Lord, uh, we were born for this. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.